Chloe James here for RFI Group's Global Digital Banker podcast, and I'm really excited to be speaking today with Jill Doherty, who's responsible for leading strategic growth issuers, commercial, business development, and fintech at Visa across the UK and Ireland. All the way over in sunny England, hopefully it's sunny there today with you, Jill. I'm calling from Toronto, Canada, and really excited for our chat. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much, Chloe. It's not sunny, I'll be honest. We have had quite a remarkable summer, um, even though we've been in lockdown. So it's great to be here and, um, and yeah, I can't wait to, to have a chat. Let's just kick off with your role at Visa. I know you've had a really impressive and amazing career up until this point, and we've just been speaking about how you're a global citizen. But just a quick piece here before we kick into the big COVID-19 questions, but about your journey to date and your time with Visa, you've been there a couple of years, and the main things that you're really focusing on and and your function and your, your key priorities at the moment. Perfect. So a bit about my journey. So you're quite right. I'm a marketing undergrad. Um, I'm British. You'd never say so. But I was born born in the UK. I grew up in South Africa, moved there when I was 11, did a bit, bit, bit of a trip um, back to the UK via Singapore in uh, 2010. Um, and I guess kind of I, I came to financial services and fintech through a very different kind of route, I guess. Um, I I went as a marketing grad into professional services, so marketing and, and comms. I started my career in global agencies. I worked for Gray. I worked for McCann. Um, and I, I basically really had this fond affection for consumers. Um, and that kind of morphed its way through into me finding my way into financial services um, and I worked for another payment scheme for 11 years that took me to Asia from, from Johannesburg mm-hmm. um, and then moved me back to, to London. And then you're quite right, two and a half years ago, I joined Visa. And why did I join Visa? And especially Visa Europe, a real part of that decision. Um, I was really intrigued by the transformation that was was happening and continuing to happen as Visa Europe was acquired by Visa Inc. um, and was morphing into um, this new commercial entity. And I thought, hey, this is a great opportunity for me to come and be part of that change, part of that transformation, and also to do something different within payments. To that point, I'd kind of be more involved in the incumbent banks. And this opportunity was more centered around fintech and new players within the industry. So that's kind of a little bit about my journey. In terms of my day-to-day at Visa, so my role is I lead business development for the UK and Ireland. And I guess there's kind of three areas that I look after on a day-to-day basis. One is new business development. um, And that's really around how we as Visa think about the new entrants, the new players, whether that's formally or informally, some of them come to us through RFP, we need to tender for them. Some of them are more proactive BD opportunities. A ton of them are FinTech. Um, and we've done a lot of work in that new BD space because, to be honest, like two, three years ago, we just weren't open for business. We've now put in a fintech fast track program. So we just make that whole end-to-end experience a lot more slicker, um, but really focused on new business development as the one opportunity. And the priority there is to win new business. I mean, I'm quite clear about that. Then it's about deployment. So when we've won or we've been successful um, in winning that new opportunity or that new prospect, how do we onboard them to Visa? Um, 
And then the last piece of my day to day is how we manage those clients on an ongoing basis. Um, and I do have other logos in the, in my portfolio. Um, you know, some of the the, the, the other names, um, TSB, Nationwide, um, Cooperative Bank. Um, but then also I do have, you know, the smaller fintechs, but also the large global scaled fintechs. So Revolut obviously being uh, being the, the poster child there. Um, so it's kind of a very mixed um, a portfolio. But if you think about the sales value chain, I almost cover it all off. I go from everything from pre-sales, prospecting, sales to contracting, we then deploy and then we 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 kind of grow and optimize the the business together um and yeah my 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 kind of day-to-day priorities are just understanding what customers want um through our client engagement and ensuring that visa can enable that um whether it's a fraud solution um or whether it's you know how can we build um an, an optimize a reward opportunity um, there's a host, of, I'm not going to sell to you, but there's a host of, of capabilities that Visa has that we look to enable with uh, with many of our existing clients. So I'll pause there. That's, there's so much I want to pick up on there, Jill. There's so many nuggets that came out there. The transformation piece in the payments industry and, and over your time within payments and how you sort of moved into that fintech space and there's so much going on there. You spoke about that real passion for the consumer and and making real impactful change, which obviously is a huge part of what you do. So I'm just going to go down that route for the first moment and then I'll kind of deviate off. But talking about the consumer then and everything that we've been going through for the last six plus months now, we've both mentioned, you know, not not really leaving our little – areas since since March how are how are you finding the the relationship with the customers of Visa and I guess your customers when you talk about you know some of the little nimble players some of those bigger clients and servicing them and then Visa's end customers I mean how are people coping with COVID-19 in your perspective um what are the biggest impacts that you're seeing on the industry and I guess what Visa is doing to really support uh, customers in their journeys. Yeah, I mean the key themes is the rapid move to online, um, you know, contactless and mobile first. So we really had to harness that in the early in the early kind of weeks and months of COVID. Our, our contactless limit in the UK was thirty pounds, um, and we worked very nimbly and very quickly to increase that contactless limit to forty five pounds. Yeah, it doesn't um, go very far, does it? No, exactly. So that was that was a great opportunity. Um, And and I think that was a big kind of tick uh, for Visa and the industry as a whole to get that executed in in a really tricky environment, because, as you can imagine, most organizations went into tech freezes um, as as COVID kind of emerged because a lot of the essential staff were working remotely. Um, So we're really proud of that. I think what we've also done is we've actually got a a campaign running at the moment around how you pay matters. It's really about educating consumers around the protections that they have when they pay um, and the protections that they have when they pay with Visa. Um, And I think that's super important as well, especially as we see this rapid move to online, because a lot of the time you're be buying something on an e-commerce website that we normally would be able to see or feel or touch. 
Um, and I think it's important for consumers to know the protections that they have in the unlikely event that those goods arrive and they're not as they anticipated, that they do have the opportunity to do um, or they are protected in those environments and they have the opportunity to do a chargeback. So that's really been part of what we're doing, again, to just create awareness, educate customers. And then I guess what else have we been doing? I mean, we work with a ton of partners, whether it's kind of eBay or Mina. Mina is actually a Swedish um, fintech, which looks at subscription services. Um, and, and just really trying to harness that move to online and mobile. Um, what can we do to really advance the customer experience in this new digital world? One point I did want to, to raise just, just as also was the relationship between uh, all the different sort of partners you work with. And you, you mentioned, you know, the revolutes of the world. And you just mentioned MENA now and then some of those bigger organisations. Sure. When it comes to best practice of working with um you know those, those fintech organisations. How how does that how is that going, and how how over the years has that changed? Do you have sort of a, a really broad team who you know certain people work with the smaller than certain people work with the bigger entities? Yes, how do you foster those relationships? Sure. So I mean, I guess uh, some anecdotes in terms of fintech. First of all, the way that Visa thinks about fintech. Maybe I'll start there before I kind of unpack or peel back the onion a bit. So I think the way that we think about FinTech is threefold um, because it can be quite confusing otherwise if I don't kind of start there. So we think about it in terms of support and that would be enabling an issuer like a Revolut or an acquirer. Um, We think about partnering or partnerships and then we think about investments. Um, So those are the kind of the three broad, broad arching themes in terms of how we think about FinTech. So if we kind of just unpack the first one, support, absolutely. I mean, we have a team that really thinks about and and deals with the larger fintechs because things like market enablement is really important to them. They want to enter a new market. There's a lot of insight that Visa can give them. Um, We have obviously the Visa Analytics platform um, that is a fairly new tool and capability. Um, but we also have a lot of other benchmark um, uh, tools and and uh, and data that we can help um, with market enablement, market entry with some of the scaled fintechs. In terms of some of the smaller fintechs, um, they may need just to look at other partnerships that we have um, in terms of the MENAs or the currency clouds, because they may not have a complete suite of partners. So they still want to issue or they want, might want to issue themselves directly or through maybe um, a reseller model. But then they also want to understand what are the other partners? What does the ecosystem look like? And Visa enables that through their FinTech Fast Track program, where we can quickly onboard them, um, but we can also offer them additional kind of supplementary services through some of our partnerships. Um, and then the investment. So you're comes, almost doing a matchmaking. A matchmaking. We are, a big, we are yeah. absolutely. Which close. is awesome. Yeah. Matchmaking. Um, and then on the on the investment side, I mean, there's a, there's a ton that's in the public domain around what we've done on investment, but we have an ongoing commitment to obviously invest in fintechs, um, and we have a team that that obviously looks uh, our ventures team looks at that and and decides how we can support that, because obviously we understand that investment in the early years is is, is super important, um, but yeah, we really look. 
we really look threefold at fintechs. And as we think about supporting them, um, we think about what do they want to achieve um, in terms of their priorities? Is it market enablement? Is it new product types? Are they currently offering, you know, everyday debit um, solutions, payment solutions today, and they want to think about credit? As they think about credit, how can we help them think about credit? We have a ton of instalment capability. Are there some of our risk capabilities that they can that they can think about? We've got some new transactional scoring around around credit and credit um, eligibility. So as we think about optimizing and growing existing clients, we kind of look to really unpack what are their priorities, what do they want to achieve, what markets do they want to launch into, um, and how can our kind of capabilities that are largely API driven kind of enable those user experiences, that MVP, um, or you know that whatever they want to do in terms of their go to market. Mm. Do you feel that COVID-19 has accelerated this wave of fintech and, and fintech partnerships with larger organisations such as yourself even more so and that comfort levels with fintech are, you know, becoming increasingly higher uh, and, and also from perhaps people who maybe didn't really think much about fintech in the past and I'm thinking about everyday consumers. Yeah. Do you feel like comfort's changing oh, it's, even in the last six months? I do think so. I mean, we don't see enough data to draw, you know, a, an absolute trend. But I think what we're seeing is that a lot of consumers have done their first e-commerce purchase. Um, there have been stats um, obviously published in the UK about number of banking app downloads since COVID. So I think we are bringing in a set of consumers that we're probably perhaps resistant to a, a digital first kind of approach mm. and hadn't previously um, thought about using uh, a digital banking app to be able to engage in either payments or everyday kind of financial services. So I do think um, that, that there definitely is some leapfrogging that's happened. And I suspect that that will stick because once you feel comfortable with something from a behavioural perspective, I think the likelihood that you'll sustain that is pretty high. Um, and I think as long as there's trust within that um, and that it's working um, and that consumers feel that they make can make payments seamlessly, but also that those payments are safe and secure, um, mm. I think they'll continue to evolve and do that. Mm. So I do think that we are seeing, obviously, that shift to digital, contactless, online and mobile being sustained. Um, and we are seeing from a number of different kind of data points, um, whether it's mobile banking app downloads or just our own data, where we see, obviously, you know, 70, 76%, I think it is, um, of Europeans are connected using smartphones and people want to pay digitally because it is more convenient. Um, and they know that they can authenticate themselves on those smartphones um, and they know that that provides additional security and comes back to that whole notion of trust. Absolutely. Well, you'll, you'll know from your relationship with RFI group that we certainly see that speed, convenience, security come up as trumps uh, when it comes to trust. And, and, and I love the point that you've made there again about, you know, you have that great experience once that first time and go, oh, well, that was 
you know, perhaps that wasn't as big a deal as I thought it was. And then it becomes very comfortable. And then you do it every time from that point. And I mean, people, I'm sure everybody, you know, back in almost back in the day when contactless, <laughs> contactless first begun, everybody had that experience. And now people don't even think twice about it. So it's interesting to see. And, and thank you for pointing out the, the acceleration and also that sustained uh, trend that we will see. It's not just a sort of a flash in the pan. This is fundamentally going to change. Um, exactly. I mean, payments, payments is such a cool industry at the moment and it has been for a number of years now, but even in like the last six months, it's just, I can see why you have the passion you have for working, you know, deep in this field because there's just so mm. much exciting um, stuff going on. We've only got a, uh, a couple of minutes to go and I knew it would go really fast, Jill, with you. Fast I could talk to you for hours. Just a little bit here on, um, again, your work with Visa as, as the organisation. I know that you have a, a huge passion for diversity and inclusion and um, you do a lot of work with the Visa Everywhere program, which, as I understand it, is women founded, uh, supporting women women founded companies and there's an upcoming summer on that so just a little bit and I think you probably know about me that I love speaking about yes. women in our industry and I'm very passionate about it and I know that you are too so a little bit about how important um, that work the diversity at Visa and Visa Everywhere um, uh, that work is to you and to the industry and and a little bit on on that. Yep, absolutely. So I think firstly at Visa, if I talk about kind of, you know, our leadership and our culture, I think, you know, we really harness inclusive leadership. I mean, I think it's about it's about gender, but it's about thought and it's about cultural diversity. You know, why would I ever want, you know, to sit around a table with similar type of looking people as me? Um, and the, the joy of Visa is we work in a multi kind of a multicultural, multinational environment where yeah. people can do job shares and they can move around the world quite seamlessly. Um, and, and that's really something that we harness um, and we continue to cultivate. Um, and I work for, for a woman and um, she works for a woman. So I'm very proud that we've done an extraordinary job. It doesn't actually mimic itself though outside of Visa in all cases. And it does, it does cause me a lot of concern that I see what has happened in financial services um, in the UK and Ireland kind of now um, coming across into fintech where, you know, Starling Anne is really the own, only founder that's a female. So I think we've got a ton more work to do. Um, yes. And I have my own personal hypothesis about demystifying fintech and making sure that people um, feel, because I think they do perhaps feel that it's not just about being a developer. You don't have to be able to be you know, someone that can write write code, a line of code. There are a lot of other cross-functional areas within fintech, and it's ultimately about meeting consumer needs um, and being obsessed and passionate about consumers um, and and payments as a whole. So I think I'm hopeful that people, not just coming out of STEM backgrounds, can move into fintech because I think that might be a bit of a a kind of a barrier for gender, I think, um, and we're not seeing enough throughput there. Um, and there are other ways to come. You know, my my journey is very different. I never worked for a bank. Um, I've I've an investment bank or a retail bank. You know, I don't come from a technology as such background. I grew up in a marketing comms environment. There is still a way into fintech. So don't 
be put off is kind of the message mm-hmm. I'd say to some of our younger kind of up and coming young professionals. Um, so, so that's my my bit on on that. In terms of visa, I mean, absolutely, visa every um, everywhere initiative is something that has got a huge amount of following in other parts of the world. We obviously are bringing it here. We've had. 1,300 submissions from women-founded fintechs um, that have social impact organizations from 140 plus countries. So it really is about figuring out how we can empower, how we can enable, um, and how we can invest in those businesses. Because I think that ultimately is the role for Visa, um, and we committed to that. Um, So I'll leave it there because I've said quite a lot, but I think it's about it's about demystifying kind of what fintech is and making sure we bring these women with us. I love that, Jill. And I speak to I speak to women all over the world about this topic frequently. And I mean, that's a, that's a really insightful piece there because a lot of it is a lot of the conversations I have are all about STEM, STEM. We've got to get young girls into STEM, and they've got to code, and they've got to you know be these sort of data brains. And I think what's really interesting there is is as you say, demystifying and saying, well, no, actually, you can still very much be involved in fintech from a founder perspective, coming up with the great idea, you know, mm-hmm. from a you know a payments platform. For my uh, concept, you know the Marcom's roles, all the other, all the other bits and pieces that go into that go into a fintech. That yeah, don't don't make it such that it's all has to be exactly this STEM piece to get in. That's something different that I haven't heard before, which I love hearing. So, um, thank you, thank you for sharing that. Um, we're going to wrap it up now. Uh, Jill Docherty, so amazing to speak to you. I loved it. Uh, we will uh, happily release this podcast shortly and it will be on the airwaves. And thank you so much for joining and, and enjoy your one of the last probably light light evenings in England for a little while because I'm sure it's it's getting a little darker there. It is. Thanks so much, Brian. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank and, you. Um, yeah, good luck on, on your side of the pond. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Global Digital Banker podcast. For more episodes, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Head to our website, globaldigitalbanker.com, and you can review all the previous episodes and subscribe on there too.